Good morning, Miss Yeo. Your scripture is Luke 24, 36 through 43. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. And a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. How would you like to have broiled fish for your Thanksgiving dinner? Anyone? Anyone else? Um, my name is Heather, one of the pastors here. Good to see you all this morning. I think I'm going to grab a chair. Fancy a sit down today, maybe. Um, hope you all had um, some kind of Thanksgiving. Maybe a happy one, maybe a complicated one. Um, Lots of shopping that happened post-Thanksgiving, perhaps, or maybe none. Maybe you were outside. Um, it's a time where there's lots of eating and drinking and celebrating and giving thanks. And it feels like a really apt moment um, to be finishing off our 10-week series from the book of Luke, where we've been talking about meals and parties and the many meals and parties um, that Jesus attended with lots of different people. Today is our last week in the series of party crashes. And the main focus of all of these meals, as we've been um, attending to them from the text of Luke together, the main focus has been paying attention to Jesus showing up and how Jesus shows up because we've quoted over and over again from and he write that Jesus' presence in these party moments reveal what God is like. And so we've wanted to lean in to these tables so that we would understand what God is like as Jesus reveals God to us. And today we were in our last party crash. And it's in this crashing moment, there are two moments that happen um, in the book of Luke that happen after Jesus' resurrection. And last week, Johnny talked about the not well-known disciples who were taking a walk. They were walking the seven miles from Emmaus to, or from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And there was a little stir in the air because Mary had told her friends that she had seen Jesus alive. But mostly, these disciples have not believed that, and so they are sad. The text in Luke says that they are downcast, meaning that they are disheartened. They are sorrowful, down in the dumps. And who they thought Jesus was their hoped expectations have not aligned with their lived experience. Their belief and their experience are at odds in this moment as they walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Johnny described this last week as their crisis of faith. These disciples are on a walk, 
kind of attuning to this crisis of faith that they are having. Um, it's their moment of deconstruction, we might say. Doubt. They hoped Jesus was somebody and he turned out to be not who they expected him to be. Their experience is not aligned with their hope. And I think, like Johnny said last week, we're all a little acquainted with that. That sometimes our life experience and our hope of who Jesus is are not aligned. Or if that hasn't ever happened in your own experience, I'm sure that someone that you love has experienced that dissonance. And Gregory Boyle, who's one of my favorite humans on the planet, Google him if you haven't heard me talk about him before. Gregory Boyle, he's a Jesuit priest um, in LA and he's worked for the last um, 30 years there. Gang members, and this is what he says um, about kind of these moments. At one time or another, we all had a vision of God that was rigid or containable. And as we grow, we learn to steer clear of the wrong God. We break the jar. Sometimes the jar gets broken for us. And it radically challenges our way of seeing reality. That's what has happened. The jar that contained Jesus that the disciples had for him had been broken. These expectations and hopes like smashed. And it had especially been challenged the last three days when they witnessed his death. But to be fair, all of the meals that Jesus has been attending, all the ones that we've looked at over the last 10 weeks, Jesus has been breaking the jar, the container that humans have tried to stuff God into. And as Jesus crashes these parties, he is consistently challenging the ways that people see God and see reality and see themselves. And in this moment, this, their container is so thoroughly smashed that they don't even recognize who Jesus is as he walks with them from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But they invited him in. And it is at this time of sharing a meal with Jesus that they recognize him. All of a sudden, they know him. There's a commentator that I was reading this week, and he says this about, The table was a place where Jesus was heard and where his presence came across most intimately. Jesus reveals himself in the midst of the basic moments of life. He is at home in the midst of our everyday activities. And it is in the midst of one of those everyday activities, eating a meal, that they realize who they are at home with. And after their realization, they rush back to Jerusalem because they've got to share it with the pals 
And it's at this moment that we pick up the story. They've rushed back. And as they are talking about these things, the reality that they've just been on a walk with Jesus, and that Mary has got an encounter, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you all. Or peace to you all. And peace, or peace be with you, peace to you, is a common greeting. Also sometimes a way that people would say farewell. In, in the Hebraistic sense of the word, um, it holds a lot of meaning. Peace holds a lot of meaning. It's biblically a big word. So it's like, you know, if you were going to hold peace, you've got to get your arms out because there's a lot that's happening in that word in the biblical text. Tim Mackey, many of you are familiar, Bible Project talks about this word and um, he describes it so well as a scholar of, biblical languages, and he talks about it as, in the biblical text, as peace is not just about the absence of conflict. He would define it as true peace in the biblical sense is taking what's been broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or our world. The Old Testament word, which some of you may be familiar with, is the word um, shalom, because it's in Hebrew, and the word here is Greek. And the word literally means presence of wholeness. So peace is the presence of wholeness. And life, as we know it, is complex and layered. Many, many moving parts to our everyday lives. Relationships, circumstances, environments that we're in, expectations... And if any of those parts are out of alignment or things are amiss or something's missing, peace breaks down. There's no longer a sense of wholeness. So to make peace is to bring wholeness. Tim illustrates the bigness of this word Um, in the biblical text, and he uses these illustrations from different parts of the Bible. So when Solomon brings peace, or shalom, to the temple, he completes it. It's rebuilt. It's whole. He brings peace to that building. When, um, in Leviticus, damage is brought to property... Peace comes when there is complete repayment for the damage. Shalom. That's the word used there, peace. To reconcile and to heal relationships um, is to bring peace to humans. And when the word peace is used about societies and countries, Um, Peace is made not just by stopping fighting, but by starting to work together for each other's benefit. So it's not just about the damage of conflict, it's about repairing and working together. It's wholeness. 
And peace is about bringing something, restoring something, mending something. And I really love that because it's a very empowering notion of peace. It's not just about stopping something. It's not just about stopping hostility or stopping a fight or stopping violence or stopping like passive-aggressive behaviors like ghosting or ignoring someone or withholding. It's not just about stopping, it's about bringing. And there are lots of possible things to bring to help restore wholeness, right? Humility is something that could be brought to restore wholeness. Tenderness, humor. Some people are really good at that. Food, medicine, creativity. There's all kinds of things that can be brought into a situation that can help to bring wholeness. There are infinite options, in fact. We just have to be awake, alert, attentive, and willing to explore what they might be. Peace is so active. It has like a ripeness of possibility to it. John Batiste, are any of you familiar with John Batiste, a musician? You're all like, uh, yeah. Um, he won the Grammy for Best Album last year. And I was aware of him mostly because of his wife, Suleika. She wrote for the New York Times, and then she also wrote a book called Between Two Kingdoms about having cancer in her 20s. And um, when they got the news that uh, her husband John had been nominated for 11 Grammys, it was the same day that they got the news that her cancer was back, leukemia. And they're coming out with a documentary and just they've been talking about it and it's like it was just a kind of intense moment where they're holding these polarities. And she went in to have um, a bone marrow transplant. It was around the time of Omicron variant of COVID. And so he was not allowed to go into the hospital after she'd had the bone marrow transplant. And her words, she talks about sitting alone with herself and what was happening to her. And the difficulty of sitting alone. And their wholeness had been disrupted, not just by cancer, but also by COVID. And after she described how hollow it made her feel to sit alone, he sent her, she says, like a little bit later in the day, you know, she got this little thing and she, from that point, had had a lullaby every day from him. And she talks about like hearing his voice and hearing his music and it was like having him in the room with her. He found a way in. And this is what he says about that. He's like, I sent her music to fill the room with healing. He's like, that's my way. Of course that's his way. He's got 11 nominations for music in a Grammy, right? Of course that's his way in. 
It is unique to what he had to bring. And it brought them peace. A way back to each other. There is something about physical presence and what it does to a sense of wholeness. And so, like Sulaika, and maybe us a lot of the time, the disciples are not feeling very whole. And they hear Jesus' word of peace, well, whole. But when they see him, they shrink back in terror. They are worried and doubtful. And so what Jesus does physically is really valuable and worth paying attention to. And this is what it says in Luke 24. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus is physically present with them, and he so wants them to know and be aware of that physical presence that he's like, what do you got? Give me some fish. His physical embodied presence in this moment is important, and it is reflective of how he consistently shows up. With Mary, he says her name, Mary. That's how she recognizes him. With the friends going to Emmaus, he walks alongside them and he sits at their table. It is an embodied presence, a vocal name, an embodied presence. And now in this final party crash, he says, look at me. Touch me. Bring me fish to eat. Jesus' embodied presence is important. And you know what I love about it? It's so ordinary. And every day. Jesus' physical embodied presence accompanies his word of peace. And in John 14... Jesus said to the disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The message translates it this way, and I think the reason that Eugene Peterson translates it this way is because he wants us to get hold of this word, peace. I am leaving you well and whole. That is my parting gift to you, peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And at all of these meals we've looked at over the last 10 weeks, there is a kind of wholeness or order or restoration that Jesus leaves in his wake. And it is because of what he brings. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus shows up at a party of outsiders where there is judgment and barriers. And where there is judgment and barriers, he brings belonging, unexpected belonging. And he brings nearness to those who are told that they are far. Tax collectors and sinners. Kind of 
spitting with those kinds of words. And to those that are perceived as far, Jesus brings nearness. He brings belonging. In Luke chapter 9, where there is exclusion and exploitation and consumption at Herod's table, Jesus brings hospitality and abundance and a feeling of satisfaction with bread and fish and thousands of people. There's no exclusion there. In Luke chapter 7 and 11 and 14, where Jesus is present, or rather where there is ego and position and power at religious tables, where privilege is restricted to the few, Jesus brings challenge and reversal. There's a descriptor in Luke chapter 7 for a woman, and it is that she is morally questionable or bad. That's what the text says. And Jesus, in that moment, brings a reframe, and instead of being defined as bad or morally questionable, he defines her as the one who has so much love. He brings friendship to those who are socially overlooked. Where there is wrongdoing in chapter 19, Jesus brings motivation for change and reparations. And where there is doubt and crisis of faith, Jesus brings slow, steady seeing, patient love. And he brings all of this into ordinary moments. Jesus is reshaping their reality. Peace isn't just a word. It's an embodied action. And it's what all of these meals that Jesus' physical presence makes tangible. It makes peace tangible, embodied experienced for all kinds of different people. And I was thinking about this a lot this week because of Thanksgiving. I usually bring potatoes because it's the best part of a meal. Someone asked me once, how often do you eat potatoes? And I was like, what kind of a question is that? It's every day. Sometimes a couple times a day at multiple meals. Like, how is that even a question? How often do you eat potatoes? So, to be honest, it makes sense that to a Thanksgiving meal, I would be bringing the potatoes. But because I was getting ready for this um, morning, I got to thinking that um, I don't just bring potatoes. Though I do, and I like bringing them, I bring myself. When we go places, we bring things. Not just potatoes or pie or green bean casserole. We, like Jesus, show up at meals in everyday lives where there is uncertainty where there might be people who are critical of us or who don't agree with us. Or maybe there's people there who delight in us 
who see us and care for us. It's all a mix when we're around tables with friends. And there's different political climates, different occasions. Sometimes we show up with our potatoes or whatever, and there's a sense of excitement and anticipation. And sometimes there's fear, worry, dread, anger. Or there's that sting of loss. There's a familiar absence. And you wish again that it wasn't there. Peace takes a lot of work. Because taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, in our relationships, in our world, politics, globally, it's no small thing to do the work of peace. But what we've learned from Luke's gospel and Jesus is that with our potatoes, and whatever else we bring, what we bring matters. It really matters to peace, to wholeness. And so it's important that we let our imaginations be formed by what Jesus brings to these tables. Because what he brings reveals what God is like. And it often revealed in the book of Luke, around these tables, that we have a vision of God that is too small, that is too rigid. So not only does what Jesus brings to these tables reveal what God is like, it also is a mirror back to us. That many times our imagination for God or for each other is too small. It's too contained. The disciples and the religious people and the crowds, their experiences of life with Jesus shifts things. And they are all of a sudden surprised at the way they see themselves and the way that they see others. Gregory Boyle, the father that I talked about, that I quoted at the beginning, the one that said that our jars are going to be smashed, that as we grow, we learn to steer clear of the wrong God. And in steering clear of the wrong God, God erratically challenges our way of seeing reality. Um, He started out working as a priest in Boyle Heights in L.A. And he began working there at the highest concentration of gang activity in the 1980s. In the 90s in L.A., it was known as the decade of death because of the impacts of gang violence. And he was there for that whole time. And it was out of that time 
working in this little parish church in Boyle Heights in LA that he started and founded the largest gang intervention rehabilitation and reentry program in the world. And he has received many awards, and one of them, which I thought was beautiful, was the California Peace Prize. And he says, as we grow, we learn to steer clear of the wrong God. This is what he says. If our God makes us feel unworthy and in debt, if our God frightens us, if our God is endlessly disappointed in us, wrong God. There is a correlation between understanding God and our own presence in the world, which is why I think he works so hard to make the goodness of God known in spaces where it's mostly an experience of hostility. And because there is a correlation between understanding God and the presence that we show up in the world, he says, consequently, a change in our conception of God can transform our culture. And that is something that he has done well. The man has changed the culture of L.A., Because instead of policies of suppression and incarceration as means to end gang violence, he decided to bring tenderness, his word. And in bringing tenderness to places of violence, there's many, many stories where their experience of this tenderness surprises their vision of themselves and then the world around them. Missio, peace and presence reshapes our reality. Where we are all of a sudden surprised at the way we see ourselves and others. And Jesus said, wholeness or peace is the gift that we are left with. And it becomes a practice or the work of who we are. And peace takes a lot of work. Because taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness in our lives, in our relationships, in our world is no small thing. It is no small thing. But I hope that what we've learned from Luke's gospel and Jesus is that what we bring matters to peace and to wholeness. And what it is that we receive from God matters to us and what we are then able to bring in our everyday lives to the tables that we attend. And so before we come to this table, the table of communion and the last meal, Jesus broke bread and said, do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup cup of the Passover and he said a new covenant I do this he gave it to them 
And so as you think about coming to this table, I want you to think of something that you need to let go of. An image of God that does not cultivate in you wholeness. Just think about one. And you know, these things, these practices, it's a practice. Maybe that it comes back to you, but think of an image of God after these last weeks in Luke that you need to let go of. A God who is critical. A God who is uncaring. A God who only looks at you for the wrong that you have done. And as you come to this table that Jesus hosts for you, just ask for the exchange. What would God want to give you in exchange for that? A kind glance, a tender word, an invitation of some kind. The the intention is that we would grow in our own sense of wholeness and peace. And as we grow in that intention of wholeness and peace, we would then be those that can extend that kind of wholeness and peace to those around us. Let's pray. Jesus, it's easy to think that... um, all the complication goes away. But it doesn't. We live here where there's a lot that isn't whole. And for whatever reason, um, you've determined that there's a goodness about us contributing to each other's wholeness. And sometimes I wonder why that felt like a good idea in your mind. But I pray today that as we come to this table, we would let our imaginations go to these texts in Luke where you bring belonging, where you bring reversal, where you reframe self-identifiers, where you bring welcome and hospitality and satisfaction, where you bring camaraderie and friendship, where you bring words of warning to religious exclusion. And I pray that we would allow those things to fester inside of us so that we are made more whole. Ask Christ that we would be a people that bring peace into this world and that you would empower us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.